Welcome to Cultural Connections Lab. I'm your host, Dr. Kelly Forbes. We are here to talk with educational professionals around the world to impact and influence the education system as we focus on cultural connections and the education of multilingual, diverse students. We're excited to have you join us today, and we sincerely hope that you enjoy the show. ready to take your school district to new heights? Introducing EduSkills, the leading software as a service platform for Title III and multilingual support in education. At EduSkills, we understand the importance of equitable education and empowering multilingual learners to thrive in today's classrooms. Our cutting-edge technology provides school districts across the nation with the tools they need to enhance language acquisition foster inclusivity, and improve academic outcomes. With seamless implementation and comprehensive support, EduSkills ensures a smooth transition for your district, empowering educators to provide targeted instruction and personalized support. So why wait? Unlock the potential of your school district today with EduSkills. Visit our website at eduskillsllc.com Or call us now at 405-879-9898 to schedule a demo. EduSkills, transforming education one student at a time. Hello, I am Taylor Tribble, your host for the day, standing in for Dr. Kelly Forbes, our main host. Why? Because we've got a big surprise today. Your guest is normally our host. Uh, We've got today with us Dr. Kelly Forbes. So we're flipping the script. So hang on tight while I share Kelly's extensive and impressive bio. Dr. Kelly Forbes, fondly known as Senor Kelito, stands as a dynamic force in both the realm of education and performing arts. With an illustrious career spanning over two decades, he has an advocate for, he's an advocate for inclusive education and an ardent champion for cultural diversity. Driven by a profound belief in the, in the power of unity through diversity, he continues to leave indelible mark on this world. Since entering the field of education in 2008, Dr. Forbes has held a myriad of roles, each reflecting his unwavering commitment to advancing the lives of students and educators alike. His impressive journey has seen him serve as a newcomer teacher, director of ELL facilitator, uh, Title III director, instructional coach, assistant principal, dual language head principal, Director of ESSER, Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief, Director of Dual Language Education, and Adjunct Professor for a local university. Throughout these diverse roles, he has tirelessly pursued the goal of providing every student with an equitable education, uh, recognizing the pivotal role that cultural proficiency plays in achieving this noble aim. Dr. Forbes' loves for, love for the arts as well has been a lifelong affair, dating back to his early childhood when he took his initial, initial steps onto the stage at the tender age of three years old. 
His journey through the world of performing arts reached a significant milestone when he had nine years. When he was nine years old, he began dancing alongside his grandmother's dance group, the Happy Hoofers in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This early exposure ignited a lifelong passion for acting, dancing, and singing, leading him to share his talents on stage across the globe, from Branson, Missouri, to Cairo, Egypt, and from Royal Caribbean Cruise Line stages in the Caribbean. Kelly has used his artistic talents to promote cultural exchange and create connections that have transformed, uh, transcended borders. In his beloved Oklahoma, Kelly continues to embrace the joy of dance, often partnering with Marty Rickman, his salsa dance partner, originally from Palmira Valle, uh, Colombia. His dedication to dance and the arts uh, as experienced when he was awarded the title of, uh, title of Mr. Gay Oklahoma USA in 2011 is a testament to his belief in the power of art and culture to bridge gaps and create connections. Dr. Forbes' dedication to equitable education goes beyond his professional roles. He is certified from the Center for Applied Linguistics and Sheltered Instruction Observation Protocol underlining his commitment to providing students with the best possible learning experiences. He's also conducted research that delves into the vital role that cultural proficiency plays in ensuring that all students receive a fair and inclusive education. Kelly firmly believes that diversity is the cornerstone of unity and intercultural connect connectivity enriches our lives immeasurably. His guiding principle remains as simple as it is profound. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. With this motto, he strives to make each day the very best, recognizing that each new day heralds the beginning of the rest of our lives. As a testament to his dedication to cultural diversity, Dr. Forbes is also the host of this podcast, Cultural Connections Lab, available at cultural uh, at. Uh, and many uh, podcast providers just search Cultural Connections Lab podcast. Through this past platform, he fosters discussions that promote understanding and appreciation of various cultures, helping to build bridges of empathy and connection in an ever uh, diverse world. Beyond his professional and artistic pursuits, Kelly is a loving fur daddy to three remarkable dogs. He splits his time between the vibrant communities of Oklahoma City and Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he continues to make a positive impact on the lives of those around him through his commitment to education, art, and the simple yet profound act of treating others with kindness and respect. With that, I am so happy to introduce to you the real, the amazing Dr. <laughs> Kelly Forbes. Thank you so much for being with us today, Kelly. I'm excited to be here. It's like full circle. The very first uh, podcast episode of the first season was me. Yeah, it was almost a, 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 almost a year ago. You oh. interviewed me. <laughs> I'm excited to be here, though, on this side of it. It's fun. Well, and so... You know, I was probably about a month ago. I was thinking, man, Kelly has got such an amazing story. I can't do justice to being the host that you are, but you deserve yeah. to be the guest at some point. I mean, you you, you uh, do such a great job helping other people 
tell your story. So I'm, I'm going to do my best today to help you tell your story, which is uh, equally as amazing as everyone else we've had on this podcast. Well, honestly, it was humbling that you asked. I, it was it was really, really kind, truly. So thanks for asking me. And I'm truly honored to be here. I mean, that. thank you. Yeah, no, it's going to be so fun. I'm looking forward to, it. you know, obviously <laughs> we, we've known each other for quite some time now. What is it? Uh, I mean, probably 15 well, years. But yeah, so we're, we, we, we've known each other for a while. And a I definitely call, call you a friend or respect you and respect all that you do for the community. So thank, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, um, Kind of, if you don't mind, just taking us taking us way back, Kelly. You know, I've I've known you 15 years, which is a while, but I've heard a lot about uh, your upbringing, some of uh, the ups and downs that you've faced throughout life. Um, do you mind just kind of take, taking us taking us way back? Like, tell us a little bit about uh, your your upbringing, some of your triumphs, challenges, struggles that you have faced. Um, you know, just uh, li- living around the world. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I, I feel really fortunate for 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 my past. You know, I <clears throat> always having just like this mindset of gratitude and thankfulness for the things that we experience in this world and how we respond to and how we grow from that. Uh, whenever there are, you know, really really great times and sometimes not so uh, amazing times. But no, I mean, I am um, originally just from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, I have um, two uh, amazing grandparents. I lovingly call them Papa and Kiki. I was younger uh, and tongue-tied, and I couldn't say Granny uh, or Grandpa, so it came out Kiki and Papa. So that's how they became Kiki and Papa. Um, But they are my uh, amazing grandparents, 91 years old right now, and I just cherish them so much. What what do you what do you know about the story of why 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 are you guys? I mean, why is your family in Oklahoma? How did it end up landing here? And if if I remember correctly, you've got somewhat uh, a background story of of uh, languages other than English spoken in the family. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you know, I mean, to be completely honest, I'm not 100 percent sure what the entire story is about how um, my family came to Oklahoma. I wish that I knew more. I know just bits and, and, and pieces, but what I do know is that my grandmother's grandmother uh, did speak German. And so my grandmother, she was able to understand German. They always read the Bible every night in German um, from the stories that my Kiki tells me. Um, and then of course now being 91 years old and. Uh, just thinking back from 1932, whenever she was born until today, uh, you know, the education system and society overall in, in general, there was no need for the German anymore. And so they took it away. And so now my grandmother always discusses how she wishes that she still knew German because she used to be able to understand it. But as how my entire family came over here from my mom's side and my dad's side, I'm not 100% sure to be completely honest, but um, I hear that my ancestry is uh german dutch so (laughs) and i took german in middle school but went back to spanish in high school show show, show us what you got with the german (laughs) um 
I, I love you and I like ice cream. I mean, that's what like <laughs> I remember. Sticks of your German. Yeah, it's not. I mean, you know, it's of course a few other you know words here and there, but no, I just uh, um, it was so difficult for some reason. Middle school. I went to a Catholic middle school, and um, I had a, an amazing teacher, Mrs. Quindera. And I really, really just loved her and respected her. And I loved the class. But for some reason, German, it was the first year was easy. But German two in eighth grade was not. It was just so hard. And then in my high school, they didn't offer German. So it was Latin, French, or Spanish. And I chose Spanish, fortunately. And so and that was just, I don't know. Como si fuera el primer idioma. I just, I don't know. I just loved it. I just fell in love with it. It was great. And I uh, had a wonderful teacher there as well. Are you still are you still in touch with uh, the teacher the, any of those teachers from high school? Um, I am sometimes. I am. Uh, Sen, uh, Senora Atkins is, is one of them. There's also uh, Mr. Bruce, who was an amazing uh, drama teacher. He was uh, a really big mentor in my life. Also, there's a lot of teachers along the way that just made really big impacts on my life and um, that I still have friendships with today. Today, yeah, really, really special ones. And then, so you were raised from correct primarily by your grandparents, but your your parents live in the kind of the Tulsa area as well, correct? Well, I do come from uh, um, uh, you know divorced parents, like many of our friends out there do. And so, um, at three years old, my parents were divorced, and so um, I did grow up with a great, wonderful childhood. I have so much love and respect for everyone in my family. But um, the reality with that, though, also comes with you know every other weekend going back and forth. Um, you miss out on things that you want to do here and you want to do there. And I think that anyone that's been in a vulnerable space can, can admit that a lot of adult feelings get in the way of uh, maybe what could potentially be best for the child at the time. But going back and forth every other weekend and flying back and forth every other weekend or two weeks in June and two weeks in August and balancing all that out and dropped off midnight at Christmas and things of that nature. Like that's a whole lot um, whenever you're growing up uh, just in general. And so throughout that, I was, you know, I always had time with my, with, with my amazing mom and my awesome dad. And like, I mean, it's so wonderful that I have those relationships, but the constants that were always there for me were my two grandparents. And they really nurtured this love for travel, for um, education. I, yeah, I always thought I was going to go to college. I never, I never thought there was another option not to go. That was always just the plan. And so my grandparents had me in basketball and sports. And um, I remember my my papa would come and I'd feel so excited whenever he would be in the crowd and be like, way to go, hot shot. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> they would call me Viper because I would like zigzag in and out. But that's because I was also in dance class. And so not only was I doing sports, but I was doing dance and um, getting oh, to, I wish I could see that, man. To I travel. Really imagine you running, run, running around the court. Yeah, I mean, I used to be good, and I am not anymore. I, mean, I could probably still be the viper in and out, but don't count on me to make the free. The, like, the, you're not going to get the free throw with me. Gonna, you're still the you're still the viper. That's I good, might that's I might nickname, get you in man. the game of pig or horse. I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's more recreational now. Yeah. Dancing, on the other hand, I'm still enjoying that though with with Marty. Um, yeah, you, you can beat me at that for sure. <laughs> Let's go to the dance competition. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my wife. Let's wife, do that. 
Yeah. Why not? I mean, I need to, you know, my, my wife was telling me about some studies she's read on uh, impact of dance, like for, especially for people who are aging, doing dance really helps with memory and can uh, kind of stave off the, uh, any memory issues might have. Yeah. So, I mean, the happy, I mean, I'm, I'm getting old, man. You're going to have to start teaching me. I'm going to have to figure this out. The, 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 so my, my grandmother never um, did dance until she was, um, in her sixties and uh in sixties the average age was sixty-five of the happy hoopers at the time. And then um and, and then getting to dance with them was amazing. But it's true. Well, I mean it really does help with agility and with memory. Um with, with dance is very, very good for you. Yeah. Let's 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 get it started after I get this uh NBA finish. <laughs> um then I'll start taking taking dance classes. If you would, out of curiosity, you, you know, you had mentioned your, uh, is it great-grandmother who spoke German? So that would be my great-great-grandmother. Okay. Mm-hmm. So does, so that would have been your grandmother's grandmother. Yes. Does your grandmother talk, uh, does Kiki talk at all about uh, like, learning German or does she ha- have any recollection recollection of using the language with her grandmother? Yeah. I mean, mainly the story always centers around just reading the Bible at night, but she, you know, I, I don't believe that she ever really had like the oral fluency that she would have wanted to have, but she was still able to, yeah, you know, speak and communicate, but it was mostly just the, the understanding, always hearing her, her grandmother uh, speaking in German, you know? And I think that, 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 they always say sometimes whenever you speak more than one language that sometimes whenever you say things that have a whole lot of emotion behind it, like I love you, for example, that you end up saying it in the in the language that you're most comfortable, most familiar with, because that's where that emotional connection is. And so I, I, I kind of always wonder, like, <clears throat> what does that what does that translate to whenever my grandmother, you know, is speaking about her her grandmother? in in english and explaining things that she would say whenever her grandmother was saying it though in german and how much of that emotional part am i maybe missing out on because my grandmother can't really tell me in german what was being said and nor would i be able to understand that if she well i mean i guess if she did speak german i would be able to speak german too so then therefore that would have been passed down to me and i could be trilingual at this point yeah i'm just curious if uh there were story, you know, obviously there, we always hear these stories about people being discouraged or punished for using a language other than English. I was just curious if that if she shared any experience like that. You know, I, so I don't think that, so in the area where my grandmother grew up, which was in the Dakotas area. Um, okay. It was, I mean, I, I mean, Kiki will tell me stories about, you know, different cultures that were represented at the time, the majority still being, you know, a white culture, but just expressing how from her memory and what she remembers through this is that it, that there wasn't so, there wasn't any disdain or anything. Everyone really, really got along, worked well, but it was more where there were more populated areas that, that she would hear of different stories. So I don't know for sure. And I I can't necessarily speak for her either, but I think in her experiences that there was um, a lot more harmony overall among people that she was around, at least from her view at that time. 
Well, but then then it wasn't really passed down. By yeah, the time your grand, 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 grandmother was growing up, she she would hear it, but it, it wasn't. Uh, and if she heard it now, basis. she wouldn't. Yeah, she wouldn't understand any of it. And that's the thing, right. you know, you, you use it or lose it. But just you know, yeah. whenever whenever you consider how you know, part of what part of your language, part of what you speak, is really connected to your soul and who you are, and having part of that being taken away, you just think why. And so then you consider, you know, even current and right now in 2024, that there are states that are either a you know, trying to take away uh, dual funding for dual language education programs, for example, or heritage language programs. But then you have other states that are, you know, the their local government is trying to add more money to it. And so, I, you know, you just think, why would you why would you want to take away anything from anyone and be subtractive? Why not just be more additive so they still have what you already wanted them to have, but they have more? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, we say it, more like... in 24, but it's like, except for that, <laughs> sometimes. I'm like, yeah, well, let's well, just add you, to it. Exactly. You, you and I both know the benefits of bilingualism. So, yeah, being bilingual, obviously, yeah. yes. It's, it's yeah. awesome. It's amazing. And I am thankful that I was able to ever get this opportunity. Well, yeah. You know? So I guess that, that to take take me now from the, the Viper, you know, <laughs> zigzagging on the court. You're going to call me Viper now, right? That's right. <laughs> Calito, Viper, Viper, <laughs> yeah, Viper. I mean, <laughs> I don't even go. know Vi Viper. What is Viper? It's, well, you, it's just Viper. It's gonna be the v name. We're just gonna say okay. Viper. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm gonna get you a hat. So, take us from uh, zigzagging on the court to how in the heck did uh, you know? Like everybody now that I'm with, when I'm when I'm with you and meet other people, they're like they're they're just convinced you're from a, another country. You're not from the U.S. because your Spanish is impeccable. You got the accents. I mean, it's like you can trick so many people. If you were talking on the phone, they weren't looking at you. They would know for sure you're like from another country. You know. So, <laughs> how did Mister Kelly Viper Forbes, uh, you know, pale pale skin? Uh, a little yeah. more tan in blonde the blonde hair, yeah. A little <laughs> blonde more hair, blue eyes. <laughs> a blonde hair, blue eyes. How, how is it that you be, had became that uh, grew to have the passion for language and became proficient in Spanish? Well, I think this speaks to to two things. One, how um, a teacher can really change your viewpoint and your insight, and really. Um, give you this real sense of intrinsic motivation of wanting to to learn more about a culture and a language. And that was Senora Atkins. And so I am forever indebted for her, um, to her for that. Um, on the flip side, though, I also, again, that was in high school, living with my, uh, my grandparents, and they encouraged me and nurtured me. And I, I never, ever, ever heard from them, you can't do that, or you shouldn't do that, or what if you don't get, or it, it was just assumed that I mean, they just were so encouraging. So whenever you had an encouraging teacher and then you had two encouraging grandparents allowing you to find ways to not only fall in love with the language and the culture, but then to help you find ways to raise money to get to go to Spain um, on EF tours at the time for 21 days in Spain, come back, pass an, a level of Spanish to go into a higher level of Spanish to finally get to AP Spanish by senior year. I mean, I just... I, I just couldn't get enough of it. I mean, this is, wow. I mean, 
to any listener, do not do this, but I was the one that was driving to school with my knees doing my flashcards on three by five index cards while listening to Juanes, you know, reading La Letra de Sus Canciones, of the, the lyrics of his songs, learning words <laughs> at the same time. Wow. Because I just love driving. it. And yeah, and while driving. Más lindo, más lindo, I know it. I know. You yeah. should not do that. Prohibido. Don't do it. No, but no. Senora Atkins, though, I mean, I was in, in the most loving way possible, a nerd, a big Spanish nerd. And so not only was I just this really big drama nerd, I loved it so much, president of the drama club, president of the, or in the Spanish honor society. I mean, I was invested in this. But Senora Atkins, I would write her letters. Other kids would write other kids' letters. No, not me. Le estaba escribiendo a la maestra. I was writing the teacher a letter and be like, Senora Atkins, yo te encanto. I love you, which is like so incorrect. <laughs> and so she would correct it and say like, te quiero también, me encanta, you know, something else. And like, but she yeah, would yeah. like respond to the message, correct it at the same time, right. like it's some homework yeah. assignment. And she would just like feed it into me all the time. And we just had so much Senora fun. Atkins ahora? You know, I, I don't know for sure. She, uh, I don't know if she's still in Oklahoma, which I don't, I don't think so. I think she might be in the Carolinas somewhere, but Sometimes I catch I her on I, Facebook. I, I hope she gets to listen to this. You know, uh, well, I'll have to. You know, I'll have to send. Have to make, I'll have to send her this yeah. thing for sure. So, a, a, a big shout out to uh, to Senora Arkins. I mean, yeah, she was um, <laughs> such a great, such a great teacher for sure. Well, yeah, and that's kind of as you said, re re represents what one person can do uh, for the life of a child, and so I mean, so, uh, she allowed me to yeah. to speak to to all these different continents. To meet all these different people that never wanting to even get into education. Now you're in education and now you get to even know your students better and their families better. I mean, it changes your entire life. And so it, I mean, you can't help, but just have a heart full of gratitude for that. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to have to find her, make sure that she, uh, she's, she's watching this. We might have to make her a surprise special guest one day. I think so. That would be awesome. <laughs> ah, I can hear her say, Kelito. Ay, Kelito. She would always laugh. And that's how I got that nickname, Kelito. Kelito con okay. cariño. Is that, yeah. so in, in, in class, you know, back then, you had to, I graduated high school in 2002. So in 1998, there I am in high school class, and you have to pick your name from the list, what Spanish name you have. I don't recommend that, but that's what was happening then. So I, anyhow, I had picked Julio. Uh, it still I, happens. I remember, oh, anyway, I remember Senora Atkins even saying like, I don't even remember the kids' real names. I just know them by their Spanish names because we would come in and say, did you hear about so-and-so? She was like, who's that? What's their Spanish name? I mean, uh, just anyway. And so she said, but I, I had picked Julio. And she goes, sabes que tú no eres un Julio. Eres un quelito con cariño. Like, you're not a Julio, you're a little Kelly with love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's how Kelito started. And, and then we transformed to Caliente. Well, that was another friend from high school. <laughs> yeah. Lori, I remember her. Yeah, she <laughs> called me Caliente. <laughs> and so then, so that I ended up being a, uh, <laughs> as an adult stage name. Kelly Caliente. Uh, it's so funny. <laughs> Salsa con it. fuego. <laughs> yeah, you are on fire. So you finished school, high school in 2002. So that's probably, you know, maybe five, six years before we meet what happens in between that time. 
Okay, so um, <clears throat> graduate high school, and I uh, I go to the University of Central Oklahoma, where I am going to be a dance major and a Spanish major. Ended up transferring to OCU to be a double major as well. Um, in that process, I was going to have to minor in Spanish and major in dance, and I finally decided that I wanted to just go ahead and major in Spanish because I felt like I could get a job dancing uh, no matter what, as long as I was good enough in the audition. They didn't necessarily care about a degree. Um, if you were the better dancer, you would get the job regardless. But for Spanish, if I were ever going to use Spanish, I would have to have a piece of paper that proved as a native English speaker that I had some level of competency to be able to do anything with Spanish. So I did just that, finished my um, uh, degree from the from Oklahoma City University in uh, Spanish. And in that meantime, I was able to go study abroad in Rosario, Argentina for a semester. Um, and that was also just an incredible, amazing experience uh, living in, in, in Argentina and learning about their culture and even the differences within the language and at that time, I, I didn't know the difference between like, tú quieres or vos querés and vos. And I mean, everything yeah. was just like, what is going on? So that was just a really fun experience as well. And I remember calling my grandparents saying, I like crying because I couldn't understand everyone like I could, you know, from the, the more, you know, Mexican type of Spanish that I was used to and where I lived in Oklahoma. Um, and uh, my grandmother basically just was like, just, well, suck it up. I mean, like, <laughs> like, get over it. You're going to stay there and you're going to finish this. Uh, and that was one thing that my grandparents always instilled in me. Whatever you start, you, be you, you better yeah. finish. And yeah. um, anyhow, so I got over it and I, and I stayed. Um, and right before that, though, I had auditioned for Tokyo Disney. And I got the job right after I found out I got the scholarship to go to Argentina for a semester. Wow. So then I had to make a decision. That was a tough I choice. Gonna, well, it was because I was going to go live in Tokyo uh, yeah. and I was going to get paid at that time $900 a week, which was, you know, just so much money for a college student. Yeah. And they paid for your room and board and you go to stipend right. for something else. But I knew because it was a year contract and then, you know, possibly renewed, I would, would I ever go back and finish my degree? And it, again, I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so, I went ahead and I moved forward, finished the degree, obviously went to Argentina instead of Tokyo. And I'm glad that I did. And right after I graduated, um, a friend of mine from college, uh, he texted or emailed me or something. And he said, hey, one of the dancers got injured and won't be able to do our contract. And they're looking for a quick person to get on this cast before we go to uh, Hollywood, Florida and rehearse. He goes, uh, do you want to, are you interested? So I was like, sure. So I sent in a a DVD at the time I had like this prop up camera. You had to like push record and run away. You know, it wasn't like there was no iPhone <laughs> recording this. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, uh, made this compilation and then uh, sent that over to Royal Caribbean and got the call that I got the job and uh, moved over to. So this, this is the cruise job. This was the, 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 the cruise job. And to, to, I like your story. You've told me, I, I remember you talking about like how that even became an interest. Do you mind telling a little about like the holiday oh. with your grandparents and like how you even became interested in working on the cruise line? Well, so starting from the beginning of this, like, so when I started dancing, yeah, at three years old, it was never it, it started. Um, Miss Pam. It's so funny how you, you all of a sudden remember these names. But Miss Pam was was the teacher um, somewhere near near the Tulsa area. And um, anyhow, 
But whenever I was, you know, around nine years old, my Kiki was dancing with the Happy Hoofers and the teacher, Phyllis, she tapped, she tapped on Kiki and she said, look and look, and look behind. And I was in Kiki's high heel tap shoes doing the same steps behind them that the Happy Hoofers were doing in practice <laughs> at the YWCA at the time. And so Kiki was like, I better put him in dance class. So she puts me in dance class and she's thinking, oh my gosh, like this is going to be so horrible whenever he goes to school tomorrow because we ran into another student from Kelly's school and they're going to make so much fun of him and everything whenever he goes to school tomorrow. And Kiki said, you went into school the next day and you said, guess what, everybody? I am in dance class and I'm so excited. (laughs) Kiki said, no one can make fun of you because you were so excited and so proud of what you were doing. She said, so everyone was just like, okay, cool, you know? That that um, conviction you've got has some uh, influence for sure. Well, I mean, I I loved it. I loved it. It was so much fun. I mean, I was having the the best time. And um, anyhow, but so so then there's that love for dance, though. To your point about the the holiday stories, I am, I am, I just, I really would, I got old enough and I was able to just say out loud to my grandparents, I'm really tired of being dropped off at 1159 on Christmas Eve and picked up at midnight on Christmas Day. And I just, it, right. I mean, the it life just, of a, yeah, it wasn't, like you know, it wasn't fun. And then you didn't, you know, like, and you don't want to make any comparisons at all to like, you know, people that go through this, through, through a cultural lens. But there's like this little bit of like this Venn diagram that you never like really feel a part of this, never really feel like a part of that because you can't right. st- like you don't even know the whole family over here, but you can't stay with the whole family that you do know over here. And you're trying to go back and forth. And there's it's just it just didn't feel good after a while, you know, as good as I really you know wanted Christmas to be. Like, it didn't feel like home, right. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and so whenever I kind of expressed this to uh, to my grandparents, that's whenever this idea came. Well, what if we like. What if we went on a Christmas cruise? We didn't worry about gifts or anything. We just saved the money, went on a Christmas cruise, and we would invite everyone to come with us. And if they wanted to come, they can come. But if not, not. But we're going to go. And so we just would go every single year. And not until as of like maybe the last, and we haven't been on one in many years now, but maybe the last three, we had people would join us. But before that, it would just be the three of us on all these Christmas cruises. And so it was just so much fun to get away. And it was the whole fun experience. And there was no being dropped off or pushed around. Or you just like you just got to be there. And it was it just felt good and comfortable and happy and fun. But we both loved the shows, Kiki and I. Papa, too. The three of us would always go to the shows. We loved the shows. But Kiki would always like, she would always lean over and she'd tap me. She was like, one day I'm going to see you dancing up there. One day I'm going to see you dancing up there. And um, I just, I thought, how cool would that be? I mean, I just thought, wow, to live on a cruise ship, to do this. And then they actually were able to come and see me on the cruise ship. Like that happening in real life was incredible. And they had prepped us on the cruise saying like, if you're going to have anybody come because you can't fraternize with any guests or anything, you have to fill out this form and do this and do that. I mean, a lot, a lot of rules and policy. It's international waters. I mean, it's maritime. Like, there's a lot that you have to do. So I got so nervous. So I called my grandparents and said, hey, just in case you guys come or do anything at all, I have to do this, this, this. So give me plenty of a heads up. Well, they were coming on that first cruise and they're trying to surprise me. So then they had to tell me and break the surprise so I can make sure to get everything done. But 
anyhow. So it was so great that they actually got to come. So, so how, was, how this was after you started the job? How long after you started did they? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I started the job and it was probably about a, a few months of rehearsal. And then we went to the, the cruise ship. And so this was after the cruise ship. So from getting on the cruise ship until them coming was about a week. Because uh, oh, we, we had a transition cruise with the old cast. Wow. And so then they got off yeah. and we did our show. So on the very first night that we had a show was my birthday also. And the first time that my grandparents got to see me <laughs> from the audience up there. And like That's it all so came cool. true. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 It was really cool. But then, so, like, so like a side note that like on the artistic side of things, <laughs> we get to the part of uh, one of the numbers where, and this was, so we had three shows. So th- anyhow, this isn't our second show. We get to this one part though. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's to this song called He's a Dream. And it's one of the ladies and she's, she's singing about this, you know, this guy who's a dream. So like, we can't touch her. It's like a sensual number. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we rip our pants off in this number. And my grandparents <laughs> are in the audience. <laughs> so we get to the part and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I'm like, okay, the show must go on. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, this is years ago and, you know, a full yeah. six pack then <laughs> ripped the shirt open. Pull the pants off. I got, you know, combat boots, booty short on, dancing to He's a Dream on Royal Caribbean Cruise Line. And <laughs> right in front of the grandparents. And they just clap bigger than anybody else. They're so proud. It's a, we always joke about that. That's hysterical, yeah. That's awesome, though, that they're so, so supportive of you, always there. Yeah, and, you know. yeah. I mean, they, they really took me all around the United States every summer, um, took me to... Uh, the performing arts center to watch shows took me to the basketball games, the football games and baseball games and museums and art and really just tried to give me so many opportunities to be exposed to so much. So that way I could really, you know, investigate more of what I was passionate about. And then they just really nurtured that all the time. And yeah. I just can't never thank them enough for that. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're highlighting again, importance of guardians and teachers adults that invest to make a difference that believe and love, love, love you for who you are. Exactly. You've had those people for sure. And we will be right back. Are you ready to take your K through 12 multilingual programs to new heights? Look no further than the experts at Kelly B's consulting. We're not just consultants. We're partners in education with a passion for empowering students and enriching your classrooms. At Kelly B's Consulting, we understand the unique cultural and linguistic needs of your diverse student population. Our team of experienced educators will work alongside you, tailoring strategies that transform your multilingual programs. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Visit www.kellybeesconsultingllc.com today to learn more and schedule your consultation. Kelly B's Consulting. Shaping the future of K-12 multilingual education across the nation. Your success is our commitment. Contact us now and let's start building a brighter tomorrow together. And now, back to the show. So that leads us up to probably close to when we met. I mean, it had to have been, I don't remember, like you said, 2008-ish, you know, yeah. So you're 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 working on the cruise. How how many years did you work on the cruise line? Uh, two years. Okay. 
So then we have a mutual connection that I was working for Oklahoma City Public Schools at the time. I didn't know of Kelly Forbes, never heard your name. And I was a a nobody back then. I mean, you you weren't a nobody. I was, I was a nobody because I didn't know you. Now I'm a somebody because I know you. So, you know, I, I, uh, it was just kind of in passing when I was working at the administration office. So I was out at one of our schools visiting and, uh, mutual connection mentions that, you know, he, he knew somebody that's working on a cruise line that's looking to get into teaching and wondered if I knew of any jobs available for, you know, that he told me that you were bilingual. Um, and so I just happened to know that Taft middle school in Oklahoma city was looking for a, uh, a newcomer teacher in their, uh, English learner program. And, um, I chatted with the principal and said, Hey, you know, I, I, I know of somebody that's looking for a job. And so I, I was kind of promoting you without knowing you. So I didn't know like <laughs> how, how it was going to turn out, but obviously uh, take take us kind of for to, to, on your perspective, how, how that all happened. Like you, you why, why did you decide to get off the cruise line and tell us about the interview and kind of the, for us, the rest is history. Yeah. So I, uh, <clears throat> The cruise ship was wonderful, um, and so I was about to finish my very first contract, and I got a phone call from a friend of mine who worked in the modern languages department at Oklahoma City University, and she said, hey, so our mutual contact uh, uh, also graduated um, from there, and so he had called and said, hey, if you, if you university, if you know anybody who could come take um, a position that I'll be leaving, you know, let me know. So that's how I got a phone call saying, hey, this one school is looking for a permanent substitute for Spanish. And it was right in between um, my cruise ship contracts. It didn't overlap or anything. And I needed a job in the meantime. And I thought, well, this would kind of be perfect. I'll use my Spanish degree and I can substitute um, for however long this is a semester. Um, And I'll just, I'll, I'll go ahead and do that and go back on the cruise ship. So I did that, ended up falling in love with education and teaching, um, middle school, especially, I feel like I'm mature enough to still be good at my job and immature enough to be immature with them <laughs> and, and yeah. not have it bother me. Um, so we, anyhow, we had, we had a really fantastic time. Um, and so after, uh, after that, they offered me a full-time job at that school, but I had to go back on the cruise ship. So I went back on the cruise ship, finished that contract, but I wanted to have a couch and a dog and a car, and I wanted to do things that I couldn't do on the cruise ship. So I decided to go ahead and maybe now that I had this little taste of education and I really did enjoy it, I'm going to look into that because I really want to go back and do that. And that's whenever I was fortunate to get the position over at Taft. And so um, being being there and being the newcomer teacher, working with sixth through eighth grade students, um, representing seven countries and eight different languages, it was interesting because, you know, not, I mean, having this conversation with you and reflecting back on that, I mean, our number one, you know, expectation rule, whatever was respect, because again, we had so many diverse backgrounds and cultures and religions and understanding and just, I mean, everything of life and even just like lived experiences were so different. And so like even their constructivist views of like what was happening in this moment, having culture shock and everything just had to be so incredibly vast and wild in ways that I didn't even understand and still can't understand but can you know reflect upon in a deeper way now and analyze that than I could before. But then I also consider like, you know, how my background I think led me to a situation to kind of be able to 
to have a mindset that was that was really going to be great. Like we were good for each other at the time. I mean, I like in Spanish, you know, nada pasa por casualidad. Like, like basically, like right. everything kind of happens no, for a reason. Every, on purpose, yeah. And I'm really glad though that this did happen because I came from a background where I uh, <laughs> went to a, a Lutheran school, a Baptist school, a Methodist school, a Catholic school, a non-denominational school, a Lutheran church, a You're Baptist covered, church. Man. Um, baptized Lutheran, baptized Baptist, uh, went to um, a Methodist uh, university, a public university, took world religions courses. Kiki jokingly says, like, you're surely getting to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Some would probably disagree, but I really, I I really hope so, right? Um, And so, you know, and not only that, but also traveling across the country, um, having experience in Cairo, Egypt, working on the cruise ship where there were so many different languages and cultures and religions, et cetera. And the cruise director at the end of the cruise would even say to all of us on the very last, like, like whenever we were about to go back to dock and everyone's going to get off and it's like the saddest day of the cruise and have this farewell show and, you know, everyone's crying because they've all made friends. But <laughs> he makes a really good point. Um, at, at the end of the cruise, he would always say, isn't it amazing to see that we have all these, and he would list like the hundred and something, 143 different countries on this ship, and we all get along. Why can't it be like that whenever we get back to land? And so, yeah, yeah like I, I saw, so I enter this classroom and I'm thinking, I'm traveling the whole world within these four walls in the exact same way with these students that are from seven different countries, again, representing eight different languages with all of their backgrounds, and just how I'm so fortunate that I was able to have such a diverse background with thought processes regarding, you know, religion. I mean, even in high school, I was a senior class chaplain. And then also being able to now, this is, you know, after my my work over at Tapped with the newcomer students, but even living in Bangkok, Thailand, and just learning about all the different religions around me and just the, the you know, the beauty within them and like the, the true goals and aspirations that people have to really show love and kindness and respect for each other. So it was just, it was interesting just to go back right now talking through this with you and reflecting upon how my background and the backgrounds of these students just kind of paired and coupled so perfectly at the time i was doing what i was doing they were doing what they were doing and um i didn't have really any you know help or support a whole lot to be completely honest um but i but but i did at, at, at the same time but like but in my planning like what are you really doing for class like going to look like I had no idea so all i knew was show business so everything was a show and project and hands on and then you start you know learning more about what you're really supposed to know about already. And I was like, oh, I'm really good at project-based learning. Or <laughs> I didn't realize yeah. I was doing that. Um, but it yeah. was the arts. It was the liberal arts um, that really prepared me to be able to be a teacher without having any formal training to be a teacher. And then you fast forward to today and, you know, going going through just my, my work history that was mentioned before up until yeah. now and having this you know, a doctoral degree in this is just something that I never fathomed that would happen. People would say, do you want to be a, a t- what are you going to do with your Spanish? You want to be a teacher? I said, mm, never. I said, I want to be a dancing bilingual veterinarian, right? Like yeah, you've heard <laughs> that a million that. times. And then, <laughs> and then I thought, you know, I, I, then I was the teacher and then I thought, well, I need to get, you know, some help. And then I got a free master's through with, you know, the seeds cohort well, with the grant. And so I was like, okay, so I did that. And then, do you want to get your doctorate degree? No, no way. Here I am. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we've got a lot of similarities in that way. Um, 
appreciation and, and experience other cultures, religions, languages really, I think expands your horizon and, 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 and can help you have a broader impact like you have. I mean, you, there were from the, the day you started, I, I heard about Kelly Forbes's classroom and, uh, how amazing it was and the connections you were making with students and, Look, I, I loved going into your classroom, visiting a few times that I was able to do it while you were there at Taft. And I remember you, you even made the paper with your uh, with your dog, you know, bring, <laughs> bring, bring the, the, the therapy chihuahua. The, <laughs> uh, so so what was a I know, man. So you've had so many wonderful, amazing opportunities. Um, but I'm curious to know a little bit more about some of, of the, the struggles maybe personally or as an educator, uh, maybe stories that you might be willing to share uh, that you remember with students uh, that kind of highlight some of the challenges that educators and just individuals in general face today uh, in the environment we are living in and some of the unconscious cultural biases and policy constraints that create barriers for educators and students to succeed. It's, um, you know, Whenever I first entered the field of education in around 2008, and then looking back, and I, 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 um, I'm trying to remember, um, who was it we had another podcast interview with? Uh, maybe Luis. And I think her and I both began in education around the same time, and we had had a conversation about how different it feels uh, today in, in education, and, 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 it, and it definitely has, you know? Um, we've, we've gone through different... Um, uh, Laws, different legalities have changed, um, you know, politics. leadership, politics, uh, leadership at national uh, levels within the USDE and even local levels. Um, there's so much has changed and there's, there's so much good that has happened, but there's there's still so many barriers that continue to, to, to keep, you know, popping up sometimes. And so whenever whenever you just consider overall the national conversation around um around education it's it's become so so noisy with things that just don't just aren't happening just really blown out of proportion you know and from my opinion right this is from my constructivist (laughs) point of view from my lived experiences and my realities um and so there's just so much to celebrate in education and there's so much good that's going on. And that's really what I want to focus on in education. But with that, you have to, you have to face some of the realities of things that are happening. And, and, you know, education has always been political and it just shouldn't be. I mean, from, from the beginning of it, you know, how it began, why it began, the way it began, the, the, the time, I mean, I mean, you can go back and read, you know, the historical perspective of, of education in the United States and, you know, even testing and assessment in the United States and what that looks like. But then you fast forward to today. And I, I, I I think it's, I think it's difficult sometimes um, for, for leaders because there's kind of, there's a, there's a high mobility rate and a high transition rate of not just students, but educators, educators are rotating in and out leadership. Therefore is sometimes rotating in and out We've come out of a pandemic as well. There's a whole lot of stress and pressure. And so I am identifying in places where I am currently serving that not necessarily because of the transition of leadership, but yet sometimes it is that, but then most often because of the amount of emergency certified teachers um, that are still 
you know, honing their crafts as well at the same time, that it's, it's been difficult for those educators to understand on a very deep level, how do you really include culturally proficient practices, culturally responsive practices, a culturally inclusive curricula, pedagogical practice that helps with content and language and culture all at the same time. And so whenever I've been having these conversations lately, the principals have said, hey, we need the basics. We just need the basics. Because we've had such a high turnover rate this year. We have brand new teachers, emergency certified. We just need the basics. And so I go in with what I consider some of the basics, but then it's really like basics, basics. And it takes me back to whenever I first began. I mean, I didn't even know how to create a lesson plan. I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't have any support. I was alternatively certified. I had my degree. I passed the test I needed to pass. But then I got in there and the application of what I was supposed to be doing, I didn't know how to put that into real life. And now you fast forward today and we're seeing, you know, an example that I had within myself. And I'm grateful that I was able to learn from that and better myself and move forward professionally. But now we have mass numbers. I mean, almost, almost 4,500 up to the upwards 5,000 numbers of emergency certified teachers alone in, in Oklahoma. That that's a whole lot whenever you consider the students that are being served, the families that are being served, and then leadership needing to be able to understand federal requirements, translation, interpretation requirements, civil rights, Department of Justice, plus understanding, you know, for your language assessment test with your state testing that you have, the standards that you're going to be teaching, how that correlates, being culturally inclusive, following your Title I, Title III requirements. It's just, it's a whole, and then you have this whole discussion that's going around that you can't talk about certain things. And so I, you know, and, and that's currently happening uh, in, in Oklahoma. And I think it's sometimes like, I mean, I giggle to myself. I think it's very difficult if I can't talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but yet I'm talking about multilingual, multicultural students in my training who are diverse, who need equitable access to education and they need an inclusive environment. Right. Like, is that okay? <laughs> Please. <laughs> See, and so, and so, it, so if, if I have this 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 level of, of expertise and experience, as I'm still growing and learning um, from my mistakes every single day, um, but as I continue growing and doing that, I have to think and be empathetic and compassionate for the for the leader out there or the teacher out there that doesn't have the same level of background who has, you know, a heart for our multilingual, multicultural students and for all of our students, for that matter, um, you know, even they're, they're next up to be Mr. Gay students, right? Like, I mean, I, was, <laughs> I had those teachers that were trying to help me uh, at, at Metro Christian uh, Academy that were, you know, really loving toward me. I don't know how that would look today in, in, in school, you know. Across across the nation, I, I you know I I can give you ideas of what that looks like now, but I, you know these conversations that we're trying to have about having these culturally inclusive and responsive classrooms and and how we treat our families and how our, our stakeholders we have them involved and this whole idea of inclusivity gets to be muddled in such a way through technical terms and potential legalities and um, I mean e e even just the other day. I was being told how books that have two dads in them were being taken out of the library as being told to me. And it just felt like this weird moment of th like thinking like for me and my partner, if we were to have a, a, a child, foster a child, adopt a child, have our own, um, that the, the version of our story 
is taken out of the library from people that know and respect you and love you on a personal level, but professionally have to erase you. Yeah. I don't know. That probably doesn't even answer the question. That is just all around. In no, so many it does. Ways. <laughs> I but, wasn't looking but, for a canned response. I'm just curious because I know like, we've been talking about all the good things that happen. You know, <laughs> you're very good at staying positive, but I think there are some sometimes elephants in the room, some, th- some things that aren't quite as uh, shiny and rosy as they might seem. You know, and and we're, we're all experiencing it and teachers experiencing it. And I think it's important to, that we recognize it, talk about it and talk about how we can, what are some things we can do practically yeah. to break down these barriers? What, what, what can we do to, to make a difference? What can yeah. teachers do to make a difference? What can I do to make a difference to make things better? Well, I mean, be engaged in the conversation, do your homework and do your research, know what's going on for real so you can make really informed decisions, not only in your daily practices, but in your future um, conversations and also at the voting booth. That would be the number one thing because I talked to so many people and they, they're not, they're not engaged in the conversation because they either A, don't have children in the education system, B, they feel like um, it doesn't matter anyway, they don't really have a voice, C, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever that you know reason might be. But um, you, you, you just need to be engaged in the conversation. Um, and, and with that being said, you know, there are so many great, amazing things that are happening in our classrooms today. And I see those and those, the, those, those moments and they're, they're really, really incredible. But I also hear from teachers and leaders that are having a lot of difficulty and a lot of pushback of trying to do what we know to be right, what we know to even be legal and what you would assume to be a moral imperative to do for the sake of, of the education of a child. Right. Um, but to answer your question specifically, but what are like practical things that we can do? Yeah. And even maybe even inside the classroom for teachers that are listening, like what, what, what can they do on a day-to-day well, basis, a weekly basis that, you know, you're going to talk about going back to the basics. What are some of those? I know we, we could, this could be a podcast for hours, you know, oh, for teach sure, class, for sure. classes on this, well, but if no, you're I, like three things, three things, like w- what can all educators do in the classroom that are really going to make a difference? Well, I will. So I will, uh, I mean, if you, uh, <clears throat> I'll give you one, I'll give you one thing. Cause I think this okay. one thing can incorporate a wetter, <laughs> wetter appetite. It's the, it's, it's the one thing that I think would make, I think it's, and it's what I really focus on most whenever I'm doing any of my professional development or my trainings. And, and it might be a small part of like the, the presentation, but it's the through line of everything that we do. I need to know my students. So it's the individual student understanding. Who are you even talking to? And not just on your, you know, your teacher student level in that classroom and what only happens in there. But try to understand, like, what are the students' likes? What are their dislikes? What does success mean to them? What are their future goals? What are trials and tribulations? Doing an activity of, of affirmations for your students and seeing how they affirm themselves. And then, you know, I wish my, my teacher knew that activity, for example, and you learned things that you didn't even know about your students. And so the more that you know your students and it really becomes this cohesive, you know, energy in, in your classroom where everyone feels like they are safe and that they belong and you can create that sense of belonging, everything else follows. You can figure out the best ways to to communicate with their families. You can figure out the best 
um, sheltered instruction practice, dual language practice, uh, just regular um, good teaching practice that, that that's needed for that child, just because you got to know them more. But I feel like whenever we understand more of our students' backgrounds, their, their assets, what they bring to the table, and just a little bit more about who they are as the little human beings, or maybe big 12th grade human beings, um, for that matter, yeah. in our classrooms, that, that we really treat them as special as they are, and that we get to know them. And so just underscoring the importance of the relationships that we have is great, but underscoring even a little bit deeper into how do I know these these children individually? And you can do that and it takes time and it takes effort. And the teachers that do that, they have they have true, distinct and special relationships with their students in the same way that it impacted me so much to want to take on the opportunity that was given to me to learn a whole entire another language um, and you know, languages within the the language of Spanish, as well as all the different cultures. That's just opened up my whole entire life because a teacher took time to know me. Mr. Bruce in drama class took time to know me. And they did that not with just me. You saw that with all the other students. And then, you know, the teachers that didn't. And so that's part of the, um, the framework that I had created from my yep. research, the integrated cultural language and proficiency framework. But I, I feel like that uh, not only understanding cultural proficiency and what are our principles and our barriers and how do we work through that for really healthy practices to be culturally proficient and not destructive, you know, having that mindset. But I feel like the main thing that we can do is to take the time and the consideration to really get to know our students um, in, a, yeah, in, so in, 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 in the best way possible, just to, you know, better teach them, serve them and, um, and offer yeah, more so exposure. The only way you'll be families. able to connect with them and motivate them to, to learn, really. So you're right. That is, it is the one thing. It really, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit. I told you I was a few weeks ago, I was at the Disney Institute learning kind of key components of customer service. And there's a, a quote I learned there that relates a little bit to the conversation. Um, you know, th- thinking of, of customers, uh, employees as, as, as an asset, and that any any problem that comes up, I think too often we think that if a problem is not our fault, then we don't want to deal with it. If uh, your mm-hmm. students' problems are not your fault, then there's no need to engage and get involved. But they had this quote that really stuck with me that said, it may not be our fault, but it is our problem. Mm. And I think that's one of the, the challenges that we face when working with students. Too often we think... Uh, well, that 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 that, pro- that that problem that they have is not not our fault, but it's not our fault that they're going through what they're going. But it is our problem. It's our problem to learn and understand, and then through the relationships, like you're talking about, as we build those relationships, that's when we can really impact the student on a much bigger level. Well, we want to have collective impact, right? And we also want to have you know collective efficacy in what we're doing. And I've mentioned this before, but it goes back to just you know making other people's dreams come true if we all you know try to make our dreams come true but also other people's dreams come true it all helps and benefits everybody and so whenever we have students um that that need a lot of support with their language skills and teachers only have access to content standards but even in in leadership there's no discussion about how do all teachers have access to those language standards as well to couple that together you know it it creates an environment where 
I teach these standards, you teach those standards, and then you teach those kids. And then this other ring starts to happen and it doesn't become that collective front anymore. Cause you're right. Like it may not be like, it's like going to that professional development training and the teacher turns to me and she's, as we're walking down the hallway and she goes, Oh, we're going to a training for your students. I'm like, no, they're, 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 they're our students. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, but it, 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 I mean, it really does take all of us to be reaching across these hallways into the other classroom to have this collective impact about, Hey, what can I do in my lesson to help support what you're needing that child to know in their classroom? And what can you do to help me as well? Because we're trying to help the holistic child. I'm not only working with their social studies side, and then you're only going to work with their language arts side. And then we'll let the language acquisition teacher have their side. I mean, this isn't like a game of operation. I mean, it's like right. all of us, you know, need to come together as, as a team, as a department, as whatever that looks like in your professional setting, though. But we all need to understand the as much as possible, as humanly possible, the most that we can about these students to collectively work together for for their success. Yeah, I think for part, part of that challenge of the collaboration, collective collaboration, I think, is that we so often self-segregate and isolate ourselves into political, political groups or opinion groups, whatever it might be. So just curious if you have any recommendations for kind of what what are some things that we might be able to do? I'm a, you, you and I both big believers in people working with people of all backgrounds, whether whether they have the same opinions or beliefs that I do. What are some some? Do you have any recommendations or things that you've seen successful for helping build that collective uh, mindset uh, so that everybody is working together on the same goal in education? Because fundamentally, you're right. Like if we can't figure this out and get all all together on the, the same boat, then it's going to be very difficult to uh, successfully educate our students. Um, so I guess the question is, do you have, uh, you know, recommendations that help how, how, to, how people of all different beliefs and opinions might be able to work together for a common goal in education? I think that is a very uh, great question. Um, and also a, a, a kind of a loaded question at the same time. I think there's many ways to, to, to answer this. Um, I'll start with one. Our culturally proficient journey begins with us, knowing ourselves um, as much as possible, um, asking yourselves questions about, you know, what are your values? What are your core beliefs? Who are you? What do you believe in? Um, and, and going from, from there, as we start to learn about others and ourselves, other cultures and our culture, and really, you know, trying to understand what are our prejudices, our biases, our ideologies, um, and how does that impact how I interact with other people? And does that align with my core values and my core beliefs? And so I think it, it starts there individually. Considering an educational organization, I think leadership is incredibly important in this because the leader is the in is they are the they are the and there are more duties that come with these jobs all right so I, i'm fully aware of that but a superintendent a principal um we i mean we like we are in we are instructional leaders the the main person the main um purpose of going to school is 
to, is to learn, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're learning. There's, there's a whole lot more that goes with that, but you're there to learn. You have to have an environment where everyone feels like they belong. They can express themselves. They can learn. They can make mistakes. They can, they can learn from those mistakes and they can discuss that and collaborate that in a very, uh, you know, non-judgmental way to be able to grow however they need to be growing linguistically, academically, both, um, emotionally, just whatever that is. But if, but if the leader does not implement that main pillar of trust in the organization and create an environment where it's okay to be different and that we want to learn from our differences and that it is through our differences and our diversity that we find unity and that we learn more from each other because I don't have all the answers. And if I say that I do, then I am lying in the same way that if you say you have all the answers, you are lying. None of us do. We are better together. But again, going back to whenever I first started teaching, if we have that one common expectation and kind of rule for ourselves, which is respect, we can work through those differences. I was so fortunate to be a principal of um, a a dual language um, immersion school. And there were 13 different, well, 14, 13, 14 different countries represented among the teaching staff there. Again, many having similar cultures and backgrounds, some having very different cultures and backgrounds, some historical perspectives between the countries was very different as well and came with um, probably some emotions and feelings. But apart from all of that, the atmosphere that we were in that was created in that school, everyone knew that they had a voice. Everyone that, 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 that felt one way religiously or didn't or felt this, um, I mean, we, we were able to work together. Were there disagreements? Were there, you know, hu- real life human interactions? Of course, but we created this environment and this ambiance together where we respected each other and we, we felt like a family. I mean, we really were a school family. Um, even yeah. our parents felt like they were part of that school family. And I walked into a situation that was already like that, but I was very fortunate that I was able to maintain that and help it grow even more um, in the same way that their new leader would continue to do the the same yeah. thing. Um, but I think really it does start with, with leadership. And like, <laughs> I mean, as my Kiki says, shit just rolls down the hill. So it starts at the top. <laughs> so, so i guess you, so, you have to consider ho- ho- hopefully we're rolling go- gold nuggets yeah. down the hill instead i mean i know that that's a yeah. uh, th- th- uh, there's a whole lot with, with leadership and, and leaders have a very yeah. very hard role in so much but um but for for the analogy it starts with leadership and we yeah, can really we can create a great environment and and get through some of the difficult times, or we can create an environment of animosity and have to struggle Absolutely. through the hard times. Oh, well, I think you're, my hair, if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, you kind of boil it all down to re- relationships and respect, build relationships, be introspective, well, understand yourself, yourself mm-hmm. and, and l- learn from others and be open to the fact that and and accept the fact we don't all have the same beliefs and opinions, but mm-hmm. fundamentally we we all want what's best. Sometimes we have difference of opinion on what is best, but exactly. You, 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 no, no matter who you're sleeping with, no matter what your p- political affiliation, we just we, we all have. Uh, I mean, people generally are good, no matter. No matter, yes. I mean, I, I have a firm belief in, in that, that no matter what people believe, most people want the, what's best for them and their family. 
uh, unfortunately, we got a, a few bad apples out there, but I think it's few and far between. And so it's a very important point to always remember to focus on relationships, introspection, yes. and respect. And I'm always thankful you know, I think- to leaders that, that, that exemplify that and that do that and then also share that maybe even through a, a, their, their, their social media. But um, I just want to, you know, a, a real special shout out to leaders that are that are active in that conversation and um, and, and just promoting, um, you know, core values that do support trust and building relationships and inclusive environments where people do feel belonging. And you know, a leader that that, that leaders everybody. You know, you might have a title in, in leadership, but it's it's our teachers with the boots on the ground at the same time that are the the real heroes that are the real examples of what that looks like. And through their leadership as professional educators in the system, they really exemplify how we can celebrate who we are, being our authentic selves and the identities of all of our students to have that belonging in our classroom. So thank you to all of our educators for their service and, and that specifically. I really applaud them. Well, Dr. Caliente Viper, (laughs) <laughs> Forbes. I think we could go on for hours, but we'll have a part two maybe later on. That's right. We I can get so. into to, to some specifics about some other topics and things like that. We can do a part two from this one if you want. Uh, I think, yeah, I think we'll need to. So um, before closing, is there anything um, that you would like to add that maybe you haven't shared? Well, I just last little you, tidbit. Nuggets of uh, wisdom. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think that the best wisdom I could really share is just to, you know, and and I practice this every single day. No, no matter what, you know, l- live your life with as much gratitude and thankfulness as possible. There are always going to be good things that happen. There's always going to be bad things that happen. But it's really how we do respond to it. And um, sometimes I, I, you know, I feel pretty good about how I responded to it. Other times I think, Kelly, what in the world? Like you have digressed <laughs> so much, um, but you know, but we, but we're, we're all growing. And so, you know, live and lead with gratitude, have an open heart, have an open mind, listen to, to really understand as opposed to just, you know, speaking to be understood um, and, be thankful for all of the experiences that your uh, diverse, multicultural, multilingual populations can can really add to your classrooms and celebrate that as they, you know, en- enrich your lives as they did mine. And um, anyhow, I'm just, again, thankful for the experiences I've had. I'm thankful to for, for you, for our relationship and how we've been able to grow together, uh, you know, as friends and also just professionally. And so, um, and to, to everyone out there, you know, to, to be the guest today has really been fun and, and exciting uh, for me. I was, I was looking forward to it, but to all the listeners, thank you for, for listening. Thank you for being here. And uh, I just want to applaud you and all that you do. Thank you for all of your Gracias a ti, Caliente. Yeah, thank you so much. I got like 20 nicknames now. You were Taylor 2.0. Viper. Kelly, Kelito, Caliente, Viper. I know. So many. And I'm sure many, many more to come. We'll talk about that on the next episode. Um, No, this has been very powerful. Thank you so much for joining us, Kelly. Um, And... Thank you, Mike Overholt, for doing production work and making this possible. Without 
the, the silent guy behind everybody, this would not be possible. So thank you, for, Mike, for making this happen. Thank and you, Mike. To all the, yeah, thank you to all the listeners out there. Our goal is to help break down barriers and build bridges for multicultural and underserved communities. Please let us know if you have any questions or recommendations for the show. And we hope you have an amazing day. Thank you, guys. Hey, gracias. Adios. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. Adios.